So Jeremiah 17, this is a, a continuation of the thoughts from last week. So before we get to Jeremiah 17, and we will get there, uh, uh, a sort of a recap, very brief recap of, of last week. Um, this, this was the, the sort of the key verse last week from 2 Kings chapter 19 uh, that just got my attention a few weeks ago. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. This concept of a remnant that God always has a faithful people who remain after a catastrophe or a disaster has passed by. There's always a faithful people within the nation who are seeking after him. And we talked last week a bit about seeds and about the the, the picture of seeds growing in or of, of germinating and starting to bring forth life in cold, dark, wet ground under the surface. Looks like nothing's happening, but there is actually magic going on under the ground. And I made the point that the the remnant, that faithful group of people who remain faithful unto God, even during the difficult times and the dark times, that remnant are the seeds then of renewal, of revival, of change, of transformation within the people of God and then to the wider nation. And we ended up with, with the point that what's coming forth from these seeds, I believe, just in, in what God is stirring in my own heart, uh, these are not seeds that, that bring forth pretty flowers or grasses uh, or things that only last for a season and then blow down again. This is actually trees. And I want to spend this morning thinking about trees. Um, we don't maybe get an awful lot of sermons on trees, but trees are just really, really interesting. I said last week that trees are the most common living thing in the Bible. Apart from the living God and human beings, trees are the most commonly mentioned living thing in the entire Bible. They are just everywhere throughout your Bible. In fact, I think they're mentioned, trees and seeds are mentioned close to a thousand times through the Bible. Uh, the first chapter of Genesis has trees. The last chapter of Revelation and there are trees again. In Genesis 12, a lot of the, the sort of key moments in the Bible, as you track through, particularly the Old Testament, in a lot of the key moments, there's a tree just sort of in the background. And it looks like it's maybe just a, a, a geographical reference or something, but I think there's more to it than that. In Genesis 12, verse 6, Abraham builds his first altar at the great tree of Moreh. In chapter 13, two or three altars later, he's again building an altar near these great trees. In Exodus 2, Moses hears God through a bush, a small tree which is on fire. In the tabernacle then, there's a piece of furniture which is called the lampstand, which has got branches coming out the side of it. I should have got a picture of it for you. It's called the menorah. It looks like a tree. And it's, it's one of the most important features of the tabernacle. Not only does it look like a tree, but there are little sort of pots of oil in it that burn like candles. And it looks like a tree that's on fire, which is a bit like a burning bush. You move forward into the temple then from the tabernacle that Moses put together to the temple that Solomon built. And you read again the details in, in 1 Kings of trees being carved into the wood paneling around the temple. Trees everywhere. 
In Isaiah 5, Israel is symbolized by a tree. In Isaiah 55, the way that that God declares the joy that is coming to his people is that he says the trees will clap their hands. In Isaiah 11, speaking prophetically about Jesus, who would come 700 years later, Isaiah says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Tree imagery again and again and again. God likes trees. And there are still trees alive today. If you Google it and look up the oldest trees in the world, there are trees alive today that were alive when Isaiah prophesied, that were alive whenever Moses built his altars. There are trees on planet Earth that are thousands of years old and still alive. It's incredible, really incredible. In Genesis 1 and 2, there's lots of talk of trees. And there are lots of verbs regarding creation. You read in Genesis 1 and 2 about God speaking. He says. And you read about him making. And you read about him forming. And then when you get to Genesis 2 verse 8, you get this lovely change of the verb. God planted. I just think that's class. (laughs) So many other things that come before that. It's just that he spoke. He formed. He made. But now it says he planted. I have no idea what that looked like. I just think it's, it's a lovely thought that he planted the garden. He didn't just sort of sit and say, garden, be, you know, just exist, come into existence. No, he actually planted the garden. And he put trees, he made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. You get that bit more detail about the trees that you don't get about a lot of other stuff in the creation story. But you get this little bit of extra detail. And then, of course, in the middle of the garden, there's the tree of life and there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God gives humanity some simple boundaries and says, eat from the tree of life, which symbolizes receiving your life from God, living in union with God, in connection with him and deriving your life from him. And the other tree was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In other words, I know what's right and wrong and I will do what I please. Living independently from God. That's what that tree is. And then along comes the snake, crafty snake. And the first thing that the devil says to humanity in God's word is to do with the tree. He starts to sow seeds of doubt about what tree they should eat from. And he says to the the woman in Genesis 3.1, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? First words were to do with a tree. And of course, they then choose to eat from the wrong tree and sin enters because of that choice. But then sin is dealt with once again at a tree. Whenever Jesus was crucified, the, the word that's used for a cross and a tree in the, in the New Testament are used pretty interchangeably. It's the word for wood. And the way it's rendered here, he himself in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. So you've got this picture in Genesis of a decision made at a tree that allowed sin to enter and death to enter humanity. And then you get this picture of God himself in Jesus bearing our sins on the tree so that we can once again get access to the tree of life back to God. This has been picked up by Christian writers 
Um, C.S. Lewis, in uh, the first Narnia book, The Magician's Nephew, recently read in our house. Um, And in The Magician's Nephew, there is a tree in Narnia. I think it's a tree of youth or something like that. And this little boy, who has a bizarre name, Diggory, uh, goes and he, he is told by Aslan to take an apple from the tree. I think the apples were silver. Were they silver apples? I think the apples were silver. Takes the apple from the tree and he's, he's told to plant another tree. But I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think he pinch, he sort of, he takes another apple because his mother is sick and he wants to bring an apple from Narnia back home to give to his sick mother so that she will get well. Is that right or am I making that up? Yeah, okay. Um, and when he, he brings that apple home back out of Narnia into the real world and he gives it to his mum and then he plants the core of the tree, the seed from the core of the tree in his backyard and another, or from the apple, and another tree grows. And from that tree, he, whenever it dies and, and comes down, he makes something out of the tree. Anybody want to hazard a guess what wooden item he might make out of the tree? It's a wardrobe, okay? So, so you've got this picture of trees in, in Narnia and C.S. Lewis's stories, and you've also got them in Lord of the Rings, the other one, J.R.R. Tolkien. In the middle part of the Lord of the Rings, you have these tree people, the Ents, and uh, the nasty bad guy is cutting down all the trees. A guy called Saruman is cutting down the trees and, and burning them. So these Christian writers have picked up on the importance of trees in the Bible. Let's go to Jeremiah 17 and see what this might mean for us or what I think God is calling us to as a, as a people. Jeremiah 17, verse 5 uh, to verse 8. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands or the desert. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. That's the person who chooses to trust in their own strength, in their own way of doing things, effectively to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I want to suggest to you that this town needs trees. Every town needs trees. Every nation needs trees. I'm not being sort of, I'm not limiting the importance of what God wants to do globally. But right now in our lives, in our community, right here geographically, I want to say this town needs trees. And I want to look at some of the features of a tree in in this verse of Jeremiah 17 verse 8 and then just bring that together as a final point as to why the town needs trees. First of all, trees are planted. 
If you look this up in the in the original language, it, it says that they are rooted, they are grounded, or they are established. A tree. Have you ever tried to shift a tree? Right. You ever seen the un, unfortunate aftermath of a car hitting a tree? The car made by man and designed and all that metal and and uh, maybe the guts of a ton weight in it. And it hits the tree and the tree has not budged an inch. (laughs) The tree has not budged an inch. A tree is rooted. It's grounded. Paul picks up on this language when he writes to the Ephesians in in chapter 3 verse 17. And he says that they are to be rooted and established in love. The tree is planted. It will not move. It will not blow down. It will not blow away. It will be there when the storm passes. That that word again from 2 Kings, that uh, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. A remnant. There will be something remaining. Trees remain after the storm passes. They are planted. They don't move around from place to place. They stay put, committed, faithful, consistent, long haul. Trees grow slowly, but they last a long, long time. A tree is, is grounded and rooted into the ground. It is planted. Jeremiah also says they will be like a tree planted by the river or by the water. So you've got this image, just just let your, it's not a complicated image to make up in your head. If you see a stream or a river and beside it, there is a tree. The river throughout scripture represents the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the living water flowing from his throne. And this tree, this sort of people that we need to be individually and then i'll talk corporately later but the sort of people we need to be are people who are planted who are rooted by the river that we can draw in all of the all of the moisture and all of the nourishment that we need from the river that we are planted beside this tree sends out its roots by the stream i'm amazed sometimes at how far roots grow it really is it's unbelievable even for a young tree um if you sometimes you may be out, out for, a, for a dander on a Sunday afternoon and you'll see the tiniest little sapling, you know, just, a, just something that's hardly started growing by the side of the road. And you think, oh, I could maybe take that and put it in my garden. And you grab it and you try to pull it and it will not shift. Remember, Rach and I years ago collected some chestnuts and planted them. In a, in a plant pot just at home and left them sitting outside over the winter and forgot about them. And remember going in the spring and, you know, removing a few weeds and bits and pieces that had grown around them to see that these things had actually started to grow. And there's a tiny little shoot above the ground. It wasn't recognizable as a tree at all. It was just there was something there. But when I tried to lift the pot, I couldn't actually hardly lift the pot off the ground because each one of them had sent down a tap root, which had gone through the bottom of the pot and was grabbing the ground underneath the pot. It's just incredible the way these roots will will move, how far they will go. And as I thought about this, I thought about the fact that a tree takes ground under the ground. In the darkness where no one sees, a tree will gradually exert more and more influence on the territory around it. 
and it sends down those roots, which I think talk about prayer, talk about devotion, talk about devouring the word of God. It sends down those roots in the dark and it gradually influences the ground all around it. Sometimes you, you know, maybe haven't cut the grass for a few weeks and, and you notice a sort of a, a little sapling, a little tiny shoot coming up out of the ground. And you think, how on earth did that get there? And then you look about two or three meters away, there's a tree. And that has shot up from the roots of the tree. The influence that they have and the distance they go is unbelievable. If you ever do see a tree that has come down in a storm and, and the roots have, the, the tree hasn't broken, but the roots have all stayed intact and pulled the earth up with it. It's this massive, massive ball of earth on the ground. A tree takes ground under the ground. The people of God take ground, so to speak, spiritually through prayer, through authority and prayer. We need to be taking that ground. These trees do not fear when heat comes. Difficult times, pressured times do not cause the tree to become afraid. It's rooted. It's planted. It's by the stream and it does not get fearful. Jesus told a parable about seeds in Matthew 13. And he said about seeds that grow up initially quite quickly, but then whenever the sun rises and the heat comes, they quickly die. And he goes on, he explains it to the disciples, and he says, uh, since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Whereas a tree has a root system, and when heat comes, there is no fear that the tree is not going to be able to get water. Its leaves, Jeremiah says, are always green. Always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. I wonder would 2020 go down in history as a year of drought? (laughs) A year of drought. Here's another thing about trees. A couple of particular things I want you to remember. I want you to remember that a tree takes ground under the ground. And I want you to remember that a tree is not reliant upon the rain. It does not matter whether it rains or not. I think sometimes uh, we put a lot of expectation on Christian gatherings. And we would say that if the gathering is, is really good and we really enjoy the presence of God and feel good afterwards, that would say that the rain has come. You know, the, the Holy Spirit rain fell. But if it doesn't feel like that, what happens? And a tree does not fear a lack of rain. It's not reliant upon the rain. It's reliant upon the stream. Yeah, a tree planted by a river is drawing its moisture from the river, from the ground, and it is not reliant on the rain. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't rain for a month or two months or six months. It doesn't matter if life around it is all a bit dry. It is still drawing up water from the river still drawn up water. It is not reliant on the rain. It never fails to bear fruit, consistent, faithful, over and over and over again. Steady. Not behaving one way, one year or one day and a different way the next year or next day. Consistent and faithful. I think it's a mark of mature faith, mature Christianity when a people are consistent. You know what you're going to get You're not sort of tiptoeing around wondering what version of a person you're going to get on any particular day, but that you've got something consistent. And when you contrast the tree that Jeremiah describes here 
with the bush from a couple of chapters earlier. Those that are trusting in their own strength, he says, are like a bush in the desert, blowing around like tumbleweed in a cowboy movie, just blowing around, not rooted anywhere. The wind blows and away it goes. Dry as a bone, no greenness, no leaf, no fruit, just rolling around, going nowhere, getting nowhere, achieving nothing, has no fruit, has nothing to bring to society around it. That's the person who trusts in their own strength. And Jeremiah is contrasting these two ways of living. So this town needs trees. I thought about that and then I thought, no, that's wrong. This town needs a forest. Um, Not just a single tree or two or three trees, but a forest, a whole community of trees. There's some amazing research that has been done in the last couple of decades about trees. It is absolutely mind-boggling. If you find yourself with a free few minutes, about 17 or 18, and you've watched everything on Netflix, go and watch a few TED Talks about trees. It's just bonkers what trees get up to when nobody's looking. The mischief the trees engage in in the forest day and night that we're not aware of. Trees, if they're attacked by a certain type of insect that is, that is threatening to the tree and could destroy the tree, the tree releases hormones that attracts a different type of insect that will kill the insect that's trying to kill the tree. They're geniuses. If you take a tree and you uh, inject into its atmosphere what's called a radioactive tracer that allows you to, to watch where things go, you put that around the tree and the tree will take that in and you then go to a neighboring tree at a later stage, you will find it's also in the neighboring tree. Trees share things <laughs> from one to the other. People even suggest that, that mature trees will share their resources with saplings beside them. They'll change just exactly how they're lifting moisture and nutrients from the ground so that the saplings beside them can survive and get what they need. Trees support one another in terms of a tree on its own will be vulnerable to storms. But a forest, a group of trees together, they will support one another whenever a storm comes. And one of the most incredible things about trees that's really simple science but probably wasn't understood back Uh, when Jeremiah was writing, is that trees clean the air. And this is why this town needs a forest. Trees clean the air. We inhale oxygen. We inhale air and we use oxygen. We exhale CO2. And our cars produce CO2 and our factories produce CO2. And there's lots of CO2 in the air. Trees take in the CO2 and use it and release oxygen so that people around can breathe. It's genius. It's genius. Trees change the atmosphere. And just think about this and dwell on this illustration because I've, I've had this on me for weeks and then somebody said it about a week and a half ago just over a coffee with a friend. He, he spoke this in, in, a, in a prophetic way. Trees change the ecosystem. They change the environment. The air around a group of trees is more pleasant to breathe. You always feel better when you're at a forest park than when you're in a city center because you're breathing clean air, plenty of oxygen. You're not breathing in stale air. You're not breathing in fumes. It's not just peace and quiet. It's not just the visual beauty of what's all around you. Physically, you're taking in clean air. This town needs clean air. 
How is clean air provided? Clean air is provided by a forest. What is the forest we're talking about? It's God's trees. God's people standing together and changing the atmosphere. A tree nourishes the ground around it. Even as it drops its leaves, those leaves provide nutrients for the ground. And on the forest floor, you'll find lots and lots of little flowers and plants that can grow because of the sort of environment the tree creates in the soil. Those of you that have to wear PPE a lot, you probably get a few headaches from it. And one of the reasons that has been suggested for the headaches is various things. There's the pressure of whatever way it's attached around your head or whatever. But one of the suggestions for the headaches that can come from PPE is that you're, you're breathing in air that you've already exhaled. There's just not as much oxygen in it. And it's affecting you negatively. You're breathing in air that has a slightly higher amount of carbon dioxide in it and a slightly lower amount of oxygen in it. This, the town has a headache. Okay, Humanity has a headache. It's not getting fresh air. It's not getting oxygen. The town needs a forest. The remnant, the seeds that are, that are working away under the ground are to sprout forth as trees that do not move, that do not disappear whenever hard times come. A forest changes the air. It changes the atmosphere. If a group of Christians are effectively functioning in a town or in a community, the atmosphere will be changed. The atmosphere will be changed. Just in a very simple way, a few of us gather every Thursday night out there with, with a couple of youngsters and, and, and a barbecue and a fire pit. What are we doing Sometimes it doesn't really look like we're doing very much. We've done Bible studies and sometimes we just get together and we say, listen, let's just be together for a night and and see how everybody's doing. But what's happening in that context is we're we're, we're providing fresh air for some of those guys to breathe. Providing fresh air. A few trees turn up and just provide some oxygen. And those guys can inhale and go away feeling better. Changing the environment. The Japanese have a head start on this. They do a thing called Shinrin-yoku. which is, literally means forest bathing. Have you heard of forest bathing? Yes? If you go forest bathing, it doesn't mean you're getting your Speedos on or you're, you're swimming cozy and running around Gosford on a Sunday afternoon trying to avoid people. That's not what I'm talking about. Forest bathing has nothing to do with the bath or getting wet at all. It just means going to a forest for relaxation. We all do it, but the Japanese were smart enough to come up with a name for it and to claim sort of rights to it. Shinrin-yoku, going to a forest for relaxation. And they've been doing this for about 40 years. Their medics have been prescribing it. And medics here are starting to prescribe it to people as well and say to people, listen, you, you, you maybe should try going to the forest. You maybe should try going out into nature uh, before we start whacking loads of medicine into you. Most of my favorite places are forests. You know, if you give me, if, if my boss was to say to me tomorrow morning, here, take the day off, go wherever you want, I'll pay for it, do what you like, I'd say, okay, I'm going to Lockall Park. <laughs> or I'm going to Gosford. I'm going to Castle Welland. I want to be around the trees. I want to be in that atmosphere that's clean and that's pure because of the ecosystem around them. Isaiah has a lovely picture. This is a verse that's been on me for Oh, years, 20 years, this picture of God's people. They will be called oaks of righteousness. What a phrase. Oaks of righteousness. Oak trees don't move. They don't budge. 
Oak is amazing stuff. Oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord. I think the Lord wants to plant a forest of oaks of righteousness in this town. A forest of oaks of righteousness. For the display of his splendor. To show people what he is like. One of the things that Jeremiah also writes. He he writes to the people who are in exile in Babylon. And he says to them, you know, what what your attitude should be. Other false prophets are coming and telling the people, this is only going to last for a year or two. It's all right. It's not a big deal. We'll soon be back home. We'll soon have all our nice stuff again. The, The thing that we're going through is going to pass really quickly. Prophets, false prophets do that a lot. In a time of challenge and difficulty, they will come along and they will glibly say, ah, oh, this will be over in a month or two. It's not a big deal. Jeremiah swings in and he says, in this time of exile, this is what you have to do. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This he says, you're in Babylon Just sit down. You're going to be in Babylon a long time. Seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Pray for the city. Pray for the town that you're in. Because if that town prospers, you prosper. And God's saying to his people, he says to them, I want you to to plant gardens. I want you to get married. I want you to build houses. I want you to, to, to work away. You're going to be in this exile for a while. And your attitude while you're there is improve the city that you are in. Improve the health of the city that you are in. But the devil is a lumberjack. <clears throat> yeah, no offense to lumberjacks. But the devil's a lumberjack. He loves cutting down trees. He loves cutting down trees. You go into a forest, again, the researchers will tell you, you cut down one tree, all the trees around it will be affected by that tree being removed. He loves to cut down trees because he knows that trees change the atmosphere. So he's walking about with his axe trying to take trees down. Right? So the devil's trying to take you down. You're all trees. You're all what God wants to plant in this town. Every single one of you, he wants you to be an oak of righteousness in a forest in this town. And the devil knows that you have the capacity to change the environment around you so that the people around you can breathe clean air. So he's trying to cut you down. Always. Always. Because if he takes you down, the environment doesn't get improved by you being in it anymore. If he takes you down, the people around you suffer as well because you've been taken out. The devil is a lumberjack. Like Saruman in Lord of the Rings, he is intent on cutting down every tree he sees and just raising them all to the ground. I'm nearly done. Ezekiel has this lovely picture in Ezekiel 47, which I believe is a picture of the church. Some interpreters think that a, a temple will be built in the last days, a new temple will be built in Jerusalem, I actually just think that's complete balderdash and there's nothing to do with what Ezekiel's talking about. Ezekiel's talking about the church, the temple that the, that the Old Testament prophets talk about, this, this temple that will come again in the future, is God's presence among his people. A temple built with living stones, a temple called the church, a river called the Holy Spirit, a tree called the cross. And Ezekiel talks about this 
in, in Ezekiel 47. He talks about a temple and a river flowing through it. And he says, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit. Every month. Trees don't bear fruit every month, but these ones will. Because the, the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. And Revelation picks up for that and says the leaves are for the healing of the nations. The tree does not exist for itself. It does not exist for the other trees. It exists for the nations. It exists for the environment and the town and the city and the people around it. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Will you be a tree? (laughs) Will you be a tree? Will you? Now listen to me. Will you? Because I still believe. I haven't lost it. I haven't faded out. I still believe that God wants to use his people to transform this town. I still believe that. I'm starting to believe more and more in in recent months just that we're now at a time that I really am starting to feel the itch that I want to start to, to pull other leaders in the town together and say, can we just... Just forget about anything that we might not agree on, any wee tiny minor point of theology. And can we agree together that Jesus is Lord, that he's risen from the dead, and he's the only one who can bring hope to this town. And could we maybe just pray together once every three or four months? Could we start to see a forest? Could we start to see a forest that'll change the atmosphere? Because we're not changing the atmosphere. We're not changing the atmosphere. And we need to advance and we need to see the atmosphere of a town changed for the glory of God. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. Those are trees. And I believe God's challenging us in this time. Will you be a tree in my forest in this town? Will you still be standing? When, when everything passes by, will, will people be able to look to the church and say, ah, oh, there's the church, still there, still standing. Hasn't ran off, didn't blow away like a tumbleweed in the wind. Still there, faithful, faithful, predictable, reliable, still there, still affecting the atmosphere. That's what I believe he wants. That's what I really do think he's speaking to us as a church in these days. Let's pray.